uh, the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 2, kind of, you know, keeping in mind uh, what we learned last week that uh, when Paul wrote this letter, you know, uh, there was a little bit of an edge on him, you know, because uh, though there were some who was questioning his uh, authority as an apostle, uh, whether or not he walked with Jesus and did he have the same authority as the other apostles who personally walked with Jesus. And so last week he spent a lot of time confirming how Jesus revealed himself to him, you know, and, 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 uh, and because of that personal revelation, uh, he spent time, you know, some three years learning and hearing from God. And he made it clear that his, he, what he learned, he didn't get it from man. He, he didn't get it from Peter and those guys in Jerusalem that God and Jesus Christ dealt with him personally. And so tonight, he kind of take on uh, that same, some of that same spirit, uh, because now tonight we see him transition to somewhat of a, a freedom fighter for the gospel. You know, uh, Paul had risked his life to carry the gospel uh, to Gentiles. And, and had he not done that, you know, and, and, and held on to his truth that God revealed him about grace, then Christianity probably would be nothing more than a watered-down version of Judaism. Right. It would be a little bit of Jesus mixed with a whole lot of the law, and then that would be what we were doing. But because he stood up and defended uh, the gospel, and because he wanted to make sure he kept it free from the bondage of the law, it kind of put him at odds with people sometimes. And so what we're going to see here tonight is that there, it's a, it's a, it's a good mixture of things that's going to happen here tonight. Uh, one, we're going to see how the apostles uh, accepted Paul, but then as he's going to start telling this story, we're going to see that him and Peter have a confrontation, or it was more like he confronted Peter instead of Peter confronting him. Right. And, uh, and, uh, and those of you who was with us when we did years, a couple of years ago, now probably Major, right, the book of Acts, you know, some of these things, man, that will help if you will go back and read the book of Acts and these letters, you know, uh, at the same time, or at least read Acts and then start reading these letters, because a lot of things will make sense to you. It will become very, very clear, and, uh, and you can get a better understanding of how the gospel spread and what Paul's role was in that. So tonight, you know, the first part, verse 1 and 2, you know, Paul come back now, uh, and he says, Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus. They came along. Too. Now, Barnabas, though you know Acts, I remember him from the first part of Acts. Barnabas' name means the, the son of encouragement. Him and Paul traveled together in the book of Acts on the first missionary journey uh, until they had a falling out. If you remember, they fell out because John Mark was traveling with them and he got a little sick and didn't want to go. And, and Barnabas, you know, and Paul got upset with him and kicked him off the journey. And then, you know, Paul, Barnabas defended John Mark, and then at that, as a result of that, they split, and Silas came in the picture. But later on, you know, Paul and Barnabas made up with each other. They didn't stay mad forever. They, they, they made up with each other, and Paul even made up with John Mark, you know. So Paul was a very kind of no-nonsense guy. You know, he was the guy that, that like one of my old friends, you say, he didn't take no tea for the people, man. You know, either, either you were in this thing all the way or you weren't. He didn't have time for folks who were just half-stepping or coming up with any excuse not to do what God called them to do. And, and everybody's not like that. And then, you know, there's some people that are just not like that, and that's okay. 
but, but if God has made you that type of person, that person who's just driven, don't let nobody steal your drive from you. Amen. Don't let people who just want to coast through this thing keep you from being all out for the Lord. Because that's your charge. That's your call. And so therefore, everybody's not called to be all out. And, I, and we understand that. But if you know that that's you, then you got to hold on to that. Right. Because there are going to be others who don't see it like you see it and who don't have that same drive. And what they'll do, they'll talk you out of what God is calling you to do. Amen. And so what Paul, we're going to see here, he says, now look, he went with Barnabas. This time with Barnabas and Titus came along too. Now Titus was a Gentile. So, so now by virtue of Titus being a Gentile, that means that Titus had not been circumcised. So now here Paul going back to defend what he'd been teaching. He got Barnabas, a well-known guy, because Barnabas had introduced him to them. And then now he got evidence that the gospel can reach others that have not been circumcised. So he, he got these two witnesses there with him. And he so it says now, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. Now, again, kind of edgy, Paul. He's saying, look, I want you all to know, the big boys in Jerusalem then summons me and told me to come and stand before them. I went back because God said go. And, you know, he keeps making this point because, again, you know, Paul wanted to make sure that, hey, they know, hey, man, I am not a second-class apostle. You know, God has given me this authority, and so therefore, I know who I am in the Lord, and I'm not going to let someone else put me in a place that God didn't put me in. That's right. and, and so he said, now look, he said, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. You know, and sometimes that's one of the things you got to know. You got to know when God reveals some things to you. You, you got to know how God speaks to you, how he, how he ministers to your heart, how he show you some things to that, that you need to be doing because if you don't know how God reveals things to you, then you ain't going to never do nothing. Because man ain't going to be able to get out of you what God needs to get out of you. And so that's why you got to be in tune with God. You got to be in tune with his spirit. You got to spend that time in his word, spend that time with him so he can reveal. And when God starts revealing some things to you, you don't always need a man. God and the Holy Spirit is enough to get you where you want to go. Now, he put teachers in our lives and mentors and things like that. But when it comes to God revealing to you what you need to do, Pastor Bolden, for the most part, ought to be confirming something that God had already said. Amen. And so, therefore, when, I, when, when that happens like that, then now you could be confident in what God has called you to do. He says, now, I went because God revealed to me that I should go. And while I was there, I met privately. That was the, the private meeting before the public meeting with those who considered to be leaders of the church. And I shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. And what he shared with them, Paul's message was about grace, justification, you know, that, that we have been saved by God's grace and God's mercy and not through works of the law. And so therefore he said, now what I want to do, I want to share with them what I've been teaching so that if they got a problem with it, we can get that settled. Because I don't want to have taught all these people about grace and then the big dogs back in Jerusalem shoot it down. And then now, what that would do, it would make it look like all my teaching would have been in, in vain. Major, go ahead. Why did, he, why did he do that with them privately and blast 
Get a mic. That's get a mic. He did that with them privately, but he blasted Peter publicly. Well, well, I, I get that, but the, you know, privately, because you know, sometimes when you're going back to a big environment, you meet with a smaller group first, to, because these were the heavy hitters. Yeah. If you can convince them, you ain't got to worry about the rest of the folk. That's right. You know, that's why a lot of leaders now, they don't meet with everybody. They meet with the heavy hitters, the people who got the influence. Right. So if you can influence them, then you don't have to worry about because they will influence their followers. Brother Fred? Get a mic. Plus, you, you don't want to get in the synagogue now when you're in the leaders of having a disagreement in front of everybody. Amen. Because no, you get there and you're teaching one thing and they are believing something else. They don't want to teach on the same thing. Then you're getting in front of the people and now it's a, a debate about the word. Yeah. So you want to be on one accord. Want to be on one accord. And if we're going to debate, let's debate in the small group. The leaders, then once we get through debating, we got to walk out of here like we agree. Right. You know, and when, and when people see us after the meeting, we got to be saying the same thing. See, a lot of times what happens is, you know, some of y'all the same way. You know, you on a job, you go sit around the table when the decisions are being made. You don't always agree with the decision that's being made. But while you're in that room, you sit there till you come to an agreement. And if your argument don't win the day, at the end of the meeting, the boss is expecting everybody to walk out there on one accord. Because y'all are leaders. Now, Finn, you up in that rank now. You know, when you sit around with the 14 and 15, they're going to be having conversation. You're going to be privy to that. And when, you may not agree with everything they're doing. But when the meeting is over, if your argument don't carry the day, they expect you to walk out of there and act like you agree with everybody sitting around that table. They don't expect you to walk out there. Well, you know, I was in there, but they outvoted me. You know, I, was, I ain't had no say so. So now you're going to sow discord. See, and that, that's in any situation. When the meeting is over, if you don't care today, you got to go along with what the day was. Amen. Because if not, it's going to sow seeds of discord whenever that happens in the church. It's going to cause division. So he met with the smaller group first. And he met privately with those who considered themselves to be leaders of the church. He wanted to share the message that he was preaching to the Gentiles. And then he says, now, I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement about the gospel. For fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. He said, man, if I can't convince these guys then they're going to leave out this room saying that, hey, everything Paul taught y'all, forget about it. He didn't know Jesus like he said he knew Jesus. So now Paul said, hey, man, I got too much, I got too many seeds in the ground. I've been sowing this gospel all over the place. I don't need now to have to go back and say, hey, major, forget everything I told you, man, about Jesus. I was wrong. You know, you, you X number years old now, guess what? You got to go under the knife. You got to go get circumcised. Now you probably look at me and say, well, Pastor, man, you, you told me. You said that it wasn't necessary. And now all of a sudden you're going to come back and tell me I got to go and probably going to cause some problems. And you got to keep this in the context because they, they do use the word circumcised in here. So I just want to let y'all know. I know some of y'all looking at me kind of like crazy, but that was an issue. Big issue. 
And it because it was implemented during the time of Abraham, and the Jews looked at that as a covenant that they was making with God, but what they forgot to realize is that there was a spiritual connection to that covenant that something was supposed to take place in their heart. And so therefore, it's no different than if we look at baptism as a covenant that we make with God, and then we see the, the, the significance in the water, but nothing translates to our heart. So that ceremony, yes, we honor it, but it ain't going to do nothing for you if your heart don't change. And so therefore, what he was saying here is that, look, I don't want to run this thing. I don't want to waste it, look like I've wasted my time, and I have been running for nothing. You know, and sometimes when you're a teacher, a leader, a coach, or whatever, you know when you're working with people, man, you just don't want to feel like all your labor is in vain. You know, ain't nobody getting this guy. And sometimes as a pastor, that, that's frustrating. That's a lonely place. When you look like you're, man, you're teaching your heart out, is anybody getting it? They come in the church, they're saying amen. They're on time. They even let me preach long. But is they getting it? Is they getting it? Because it'll be, it's disheartening when you say, man, we've been taught that lesson. But now there's a difference between being taught something and living something. So sooner or later, what we've been taught has to become part of our lifestyle. Because if not, that will discredit whatever we try to do outside of this building. And so now, yeah, we all make mistakes, but he was saying, look, man, I don't want to feel like I'm running this race for nothing. My approach to grace you know, I had been telling her, hey, man, it's all about God's grace, his grace and his mercy, that you don't have to work for this. You don't have to do anything to be justified. Jesus has already done it all for you. So therefore now, if I've been telling you that in vain, that means that you got to go back now and have some works of the law in order for you to be saved. And so he said, hey, I didn't want that to be in vain. He said, now look, in verse 3, before we kind of, before they go public, he said, and they supported me and did not demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. So he won the argument in the small group with the leaders. They supported him. They said, okay, man, you, your argument was convincing, Major. And I'm pretty sure Titus over there going, <laughs> I'm sure glad he won that argument because I was the guinea pig here. If he had lost that argument, somebody probably would have walked up to me and said, hey, guess what? You ain't complete yet. Your salvation is not all the way in place. You got to go through one more step to be saved. And Paul was determined not to make the Gentiles have to go through that step in order to find Jesus. That's why he was a fighter, a, a freedom fighter for this gospel that, that is centered around grace. Now look at this. He says, even that question came up only because some of the so-called, somebody say so-called, so-called Christians there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom. Somebody say freedom. Freedom which we have in Christ. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, traditions, their customs. He said, even in that, the question came up only because some so-called Christians, people who had came out of Judaism, 
but they still saw themselves more as a Jew from a religious standpoint than as a Christian under this new covenant with Jesus Christ. They were in the meeting. They was in the room. But just because you're in the room and, and you got a strong position on something that you feel is right, just because somebody talked and taught on it and, and, and explained the situation don't necessarily mean they don't move you. Finley went alone because he was our number. Everybody else said, yay, let's move on. But in Finley's heart, I ain't down with that. Fred, go ahead. But, but Pastor, don't we still somewhat have that same question in church today, reference grace versus law of salvation under grace versus having to do this, that, and the other in order to be saved? And that question still in a lot of the churches today? I don't think it's in a lot of churches, Christian churches that way. I think that's only because some people don't understand works and grace and because Paul and, and, uh, and uh, who is it, James? You know, James said faith without works is dead and Paul said by grace alone. You know, by faith alone. You don't need no works. And so therefore, I think because those two arguments out there, some people misunderstand that. He wasn't saying that you had to work to be saved. James' point was that because Finley is saved, he ought to have some works worthy of repentance. There ought to be something showing up in his life that looked like he didn't accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He don't need that to show up to be saved. That shows up after he gets saved. But then there are some other people who may still think that, hey, you know, you got to have works and you're working your way to salvation. But, but he tells them in Romans, if you're in Christ, there's no, therefore no condemnation. So therefore, I'm not working to get out from under condemnation because Jesus already solved that problem for me. But I'm working because I want to serve him. And I'm not working to be saved. Sister Myrna? Isn't faith actually work? I mean, when I say that, to have faith is like working your mind and your brain to really believe and know that what you believe in is so. It's like a, it's a work, it's working it. You know, like faith without work is dead. Like, well, I believe that, but I'm not going to move. Like if I move that chair, would get up and move the chair, I have to believe that when I lift it up, it's going to move and not fall apart, right? Right. So for me, that's like working. Because I can't say, well, I know that chair can move without breaking up, but I'm going to sit here. I'm not going to touch it. But, but, but Paul's point is this. You're, you're saved whether you touch the chair or not. You ain't got to touch the chair. You choose to touch the chair you know, but you say because of what you believe okay. and your faith in what Jesus Christ did for you. So you're not trying to say, okay, now that, I'm, now that I'm saved, in addition to me accepting what Jesus did on the cross for me, in order to seal that deal, I got to go out and work. No. Not no, for the salvation. No. I'm working because of who I am in him. Yes. Because that's what he would have me to do. I'm not working to get my, you know, my salvation card punched. You know, and, and, and so I think sometimes, but, but like Fred is saying, there is still a lot of discussion around that because people just don't know and, and, and don't know how to, how to uh, 
work their way around what they appear to be a conflict when Paul said one thing and Peter said, I mean, and James said, hey, you know, faith without works is dead. You got to kind of take the whole context of what James was talking about. You can't just plug that one scripture out and say that he was telling us we got to go now and work to be saved. Because if that was the case, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. There would be no need for Jesus to die. We'd just keep doing and fulfilling the requirements of the law or attempting to. See? And so look at this. He says now, there were some people who sneaked in because they wanted to enslave us and take us back to, you know, Judaism. In other words, take the freedom that we have experienced. But then in verse 5 he says, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. And Brother Will Paul said, look, you know, I stood my ground. <laughs> you know, I, I had too much at stake. Because if I gave in to them, you know, I got Titus here with me. You know, I got Barnabas here with me. And look here, man, this thing could be devastating. So because we don't talk so many people, man, and then all of a sudden now we got to go back and tell all those people that they ain't really saved. Some of them probably already dead and gone. What are we going to do about them? So, man, he had a lot at stake here. So he says, we refuse to give in for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message. And he says, now look, because they believed so firmly that what they was preaching was true, and so therefore, when you believe what you're doing and you're standing in truth, then you've got to defend what you think is it's the truth. I mean, if you know something beyond the shadow of a doubt based on God's word is true, man, you've got to be able to defend it. And when you can defend the truth, you won't be deceived by the lie. The lie is always going to be out there because the devil is the father of lies. So lies going to be around until Jesus comes back. But what you got to understand, once I get a hold to the truth, then I don't have to be subject to the lie. But because people don't know truth, they don't want to dig, they don't want to search, they don't want to let the Holy Spirit reveal truth to them, then what happens is they're easily pulled aside by something that sounds good. Man, there are a whole lot of folks out there spreading all kinds of stuff on the internet now. Unchecked, unfiltered. Maybe you can go out there now and be your own in your room at night, at 12 o'clock midnight blogging. I just got a revelation from Jesus. That, you know, he told me that you know, you no longer need this to be saved. And ain't, no, and ain't nobody, now somebody who don't know the truth and don't know what the Bible says because you don't even have to reference the scripture. You just can sound, you know, we can sound religion with certain words that we use. You throw a hallelujah in there at the end of one of those things, boom, hallelujah. And I praise God for this revelation that he gave me tonight. <laughs> we'll, we'll put an emoji next to it. With that clapping, that praising God, jumping up and down. And if somebody say, man, Major, know what he's talking about. It sounds good. Because they're reading online, they don't know the truth. And if they're ignorant, that's their truth. And if they run with that and come up on someone who knows the truth, then if that person can't defend the truth, they may start believing that little emoji too. That's why you got to know how to defend what you believe. Brother Herb, get a mic. Testing one, two. One of the clear uh, examples of what you said, know the truth. Uh, an example was caught 
of Pastor Carson. Uh, I don't know if you know his, uh, is it Carson? Carson? I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Y yeah, yeah, Pearson. All of a sudden, you know, he had a, a change, a message about being saved. And, uh, and, and if you didn't know the truth, uh, it went down pretty much of his, his ministry uh, really split up. Uh, he calls that, that there's nobody, there is no, there is no hell. And, and that's how his message came about. But then a lot of people uh, left away, away from him. And he went, his ministry, in a sense, of his message was really bad, if that's what you want to say. I'm just saying, I'm giving you an example. What is the truth? Because when he, when he came out, I mean, he was, he was very large. Yeah, yeah. And when he spoke that, uh, he read and all of a sudden came in his heart. And he believed that there's no hell, that everybody would go. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, not want to go to hell, I said. Yeah, yeah. And, and he had a convincing argument. I mean, to the natural mind, what he said made sense. He says, now look, our Bible say God is he loved everybody. Jesus died for everybody. We, that's true. Then he goes to say, but in my little old grandmama, I saw her help people. I saw her feed the hungry. I saw her do all these great things. But I never heard her confess that she knew Jesus. And I can't believe a loving God would send my dear old grandmama to hell. And so once he said that, now maybe God knew that, like he knew the, the Gentiles who did by nature the things that was in the law. And God honored that. So I'm believing that if, if grandmama was doing some things in her nature that lined up with God and, his, and serving him, that's between her and God. But when he said that, that opened the floodgate for people, like you say, to say, hey, okay, well, we can't be preaching about hell no more. We can't be talking about this because now it don't matter. Everybody going to heaven. Well, that was open season. I mean, you never open season. What? <laughs> hey, I give up what? No, man. Carson said I'm in. And you're right. I mean, he was big time in, in, the, in the word of faith and the movement out there in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I mean, he was a big dog. And, and, and after that, them boys cut him loose. Now, I don't know what he's doing now. They made a movie about him and all that, but I don't know. Is he preaching now? I don't know what he's doing now, but he definitely ain't running in the circles that he used to run in. But again, there were some people that followed that because they didn't know. And like I say, it sounds good. And you know, Carlton may have a point, but I can't find his point clearly defined in God's word, so I'm going to take my chances based upon what the truth of God's word say. And if I get to heaven and God say, you know what? Cosmos was, Cosmo was kind of right. Grandmama is up here. I ain't going to argue with God. And God, you can say, you, if you, you know, I ain't going to even argue with God if I get up there and find out that the people who believe there's more than one path to get to him. If I get to heaven and find out that, hey, I came up on the Jesus trail, this guy came on this trail, and they're all sitting up there 
God, I That's what you want to do, God. That's, that's fine with me. But while I'm down here on earth, I ain't feeling that. So therefore, I can't, I can't walk in that truth that I don't believe. Now, but if you're still God and you're omnipotent and you can do what you want and you're all-knowing, all-wise, and you know, you've got absolute authority, then God, you know, is sovereign. I ain't got to agree with everything he do. But I got to agree with his word and believe that he's going to stick true to his word. But her, did you want to say something else? And so, and so what we see here is that, you know, Paul did not have no problem defending the truth because he was trying to preserve the truth of the gospel. He says, he says in verse 6, and the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, look at this, I like, again, the edge. Their reputation as great leaders had no, made no difference to me. For God has no favorites. In other words, I didn't get in the room around the table, Finley, and wimp out. Act like I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm an SME just like everybody else. That's what you call them, Smeeds. Subject matter experts. So I ain't going to get in here and be intimidated because I'm sitting around some other subject matter expert. Paul said, hey, the fact that I was talking to the big boys had no impact on me. I didn't get there, and then all of a sudden decided I was going to roll over and just let, us, let them take us back to circumcision. I didn't do that. I was respectful to them. I didn't go there to be disrespectful, but at the same time, I didn't go there to give up the freedom that the Lord had revealed to me. I didn't go there to go back to rituals and ceremonies and all those things, you know, going back to sacrificing goats and lambs and all that. I didn't go there for that. One sacrifice was good for all of us. And so what he was trying to say is that sometimes when you understand that, then you don't make more out of mere men than they really are. Amen. He said, now look, instead, verse 7, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Somebody say that would be the heathens. The Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching primarily to the Jews. So Paul's ministry was aimed primarily at Gentiles. However, if you follow his ministry through the book of Acts and the letters that he wrote, Anytime he came into a town where there was a synagogue, he always preached to the Jews too. He was always trying to win his people over, but at the same time, he knew that his primary audience was Gentiles. Peter stayed around Jerusalem for the most part. Peter had taken the gospel to Gentiles even before Paul because God sent him down to Cornelius' house. And Peter preached the gospel to Cornelius and got Cornelius' whole family saved in Acts chapter 10. And then now, this same Peter who done preached that gospel and got them saved, the Holy Spirit fell on them just like he fell on Acts. When he get back with the council in Jerusalem, he want to revert back. And Paul had come and said, hey, look, you know better, Peter. You done defended this. And so what he said, he said, look, so it's important for us to know that God is working through him to do one thing, 
and God is working through Peter to do another. But at the end of the day, that they got to be preaching the same message where Jesus is the star and that they're trying to win souls to the Lord. It's no different than right now. God didn't call me to be no missionary. I don't wake up in the morning and want to know where my next journey is going to be. I ain't trying to go down to the Amazon or go to, go to Kenya or Nairobi. That ain't on my heart. I don't mean, I don't, I got enough, it's enough folk around here that need the Lord. So I, I don't wake up in the morning and say, well, well, you know, I heard that Brother Fred now, he got a call to go to Africa. I guess I'm going to just tag along with it. No, Fred, what you need? I mean, that's your passion because if God done gave him that passion, he's going to burn with that thing. And, he, and he's going to get it done. And so by me going over there, I'm going to be complaining the whole time. These mosquitoes, I can't handle this. And hard out here in the bush. I, I didn't know. I didn't know it. But since Fred is on journey, I support him. What you need, Fred? And if you convince me one day just to come over there, Pastor, just come over and, you know, just preach one sermon. I might do that. But I ain't going to stay for two months. That, that ain't my call. That ain't my mission. And it's no different than some pastors who got street ministers. I mean, they stand on the street corner, people look at them like they're crazy, but that's what their passion is. That's what their heart is. And so therefore, wherever God has placed you, long as we preach in Jesus, you got to operate in where your passion is. Because once you start operating outside of what you're passionate about, you're not going to be good at it. You're not going to have the zeal. You're not going to have the fire. And people are going to see you're not committed to it. So that's why you got to be committed to and know what God is calling you to do. And a lot of times, people see other people ministry, and then they all of a sudden want to tag along with that, but they know that God didn't call them to be like that. And then now when they fall on their face because they're trying to imitate someone else instead of imitate the Lord, then they want to blame God when it's not God's fault. He gave us all the desire and all the heart to do something for him. You just got to find that thing for yourself. And once you find that thing for yourself, then you know how to walk in it. He'll show you how to walk in it. And you'll be passionate about it. But you, a lot of times, you know, and sometimes we, it happens here in Strava. You can ask somebody to take on something, and, and they'll say it out of the kindness of their heart because they don't want to say no. But sometimes you just got to say, no, that ain't, that ain't my strong suit. I don't like that. But here's what God has called me to do that I can support ministry here. And then do that. And so what, what we see here is that if you don't have that level of passion, then now you will be comparing your ministry or what God is calling you to do to somebody else's ministry. When you're not in, this is not a competition. Paul was not competing with Peter. They were trying to do the same thing, just to different audiences. And so sometimes we have to do the same thing here today. That's why there are so many churches all over the place in America. But on certain things, we ought to be on the same sheet of music. I mean, when it comes to the truth of the gospel, who Jesus is, what he did for us, Christian churches ought to be the same. But after we get past the truth of the gospel, what one pastor do in Texas and what another pastor do in New York is two different missions, two different assignments. But the focus still got to be Jesus. That's the common denominator that got to run through everything that we do. It got to be all about Jesus. We cannot eliminate him from the equation. Hey, hey Pastor, I got, got a question for you. Okay. Um, what you're saying with, you know, your seek, seeking, your, seeking your purpose and passion, um, scenario question that I want you to respond to. 
Um, say if there's a uh, say if there's a young young guy who who's trying who's lost trying to figure it out in life, and you know you you tell them you know you need to seek seek it through God, but you know you may need to have more detail than just say seek it through God. Um, what what is what would be your response to to that to that young guy? Okay, one you know for me what I would try to do is establish some type of relationship with him and see what he's passionate about already. What he likes doing already in the natural. You know, something that keep him going in the natural. Something that he will dig into and he will research and he will learn about. And then I would say, okay, then does that parlay over into something in ministry? Say, for instance, that if you was passionate about music or sound equipment and you came to the church, I wouldn't try to put you in a class teaching somebody. But if that's your passion, I know, man, you dream about boards and sounds and beats. And hey, man, I need to steer you to where your passion is because once you get up there, you're going to flourish. I can say, okay, go and teach this class. You may do it, but the minute you hit a rough spot in it because that's not your passion, you're going to get intimidated and don't want to do it anymore. And so I try to encourage people in that way, but I don't try to tell people before I get some kind of indication where their heart is at. Because I know some pastors will come up and walk to people, and I have people walk to me and say, well, you know, you're going to be this. Oh, I, I, I ain't feel that. I don't have people come to me and say, you know, you know, God calling you to be a bishop. Okay. I mean, he ain't told me. I mean, what I need to do. Well, you know, if you do this and you do this, you can be one. Well, no, man, I ain't, I ain't finna go run in that circle right there just to become a bishop. I'm happy right where God called me. I'm, I'm just a pastor teacher. I love pastoring and teaching. I don't love walking around and say, well, you know, I'm a bishop and I got to go to England and I got to go to Australia because I got churches all that ain't me. I'm not that guy. But some people will think and try to say, because I know people in those circles, they want to bring me into the circle with them. But I have to tell them, hey, man, that ain't my strong suit. That ain't what God is calling me to do. I wouldn't be fun traveling all over the place teaching everywhere. I'm a, I'm a homegrown pastor teacher. That's what I like doing. And so I would try to encourage people, but at the same time, not force them into something that they know God is not calling them into. And, 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 and I tell you, man, you know, when we trust God and he called us into some things, I believe that God will equip us to do some things he called us to do. And everybody don't have to go through no formal, formal training always to get there. The spirit is a teacher. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't boast about anything, but I boast what God has done in my life. I ain't never been a seminary day in my life. But when it comes to teaching this word, I'll stand up with anybody. I don't care where they don't been to school. Why? Because I know what God's called me to do. And, 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 and I do that with passion as if I was in a class. I mean, I do that as if I'm sitting there for hours and hours studying, reading, and asking the Spirit to reveal things to me because I know that's my strong suit, teaching. I don't knock it when people go to seminary and all that. That's fine. But I don't let somebody who done been to seminary make me feel inferior because I ain't never been there. Because the Spirit of God is a teacher. I don't know if I feel, I feel like Larry. <laughs> I feel like that. I think in a sense of passion about what I've been called to do, 
boldness in what I've been called to do? Yeah, I, I mean, I feel strong about that. And so I done been in a class and been classing with guys who are way up there. But when I go in there, I don't act like I'm intimidated by them or who they are. If I can learn some things from them, I always, I'm always open to learn. I learned some great things from some great people when we used to travel to different ministries to learn some stuff. But I didn't go there intimidated because they were Dr. So-and-so. Okay. I got you. Not a problem. But let's look at the scripture. I understand what he's saying. Amen. And so I don't knock education. All my kids are educated. I'm, I'm a big fan of education, for, for, you know, if that's what folks want to do. Because all my daughters are highly educated, still in school. But when I talk to them, they don't intimidate me. <laughs> I mean, and they, and they can talk circles around me, but we're going to break it down to where the goats can get it. We're going to come off all that stuff. We're going to get right down here to where we can both understand the practical application. <laughs> yes. Yes, I want to say that's why you're so good at what you're doing because you're a pastor teacher. And by you being a pastor teaching, you follow the spirit of God as he give you the word to teach us. Well, you know, I always want to be obedient, no matter what you are, no matter yes. which realm you're in, whether you're a pastor, teacher, evangelist, you know, apostle, whatever God has called you to do, you got to be true to that. Yes. And if you stay true to what God has called you to do, he'll bless you yes. for your obedience to him. So look what he says. He says, now look. He says, in verse 9, after he talked about what Peter's job was, the apostle to the Jews, he worked through, uh, he means for the apostle to the Gentiles. In verse 9, he said, in fact, James, Peter, and John who were known as the pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me. These boys walked with Jesus, personally, for three years or more. They was right there with him. But look here, he met me later, but when I got in their presence, they recognized the gift that God had gave me. Good God Almighty. <laughs> when God gives you a gift, you can't let somebody take it away from you. If you know God, oh man, I, I, ain't, got to, I ain't supposed to be preaching right here. But that, that just, that, see, it's little things like that. When you read the Bible, you can read that and then all of a sudden it just pop off the page. Speaking to you. And what, that's what God's word can do, man. When you read that, say, man, they recognize the gift God had given me, even though they were considered higher than I was in the pecking order because they walked personally with Jesus. So you got to be able to hold your own. If you know the truth and you know Jesus, man, you can hold your own. You may not be able to pontificate and use big words and use language that people learn when they go to school. That's what they go to school for, to learn those words. But that's what you need a, a dictionary for. You got Siri, Siri. What does that mean? And Sarah will normally give you four or five definitions. And one of them will be right there with you. Oh, yeah, okay, that's what he just told me. Okay, got it. So what I'm trying to say, when you, when you understand that and you know the tools that God has given you, man, you don't let folks shut you down. I mean, you can't be intimidated because people have been saved longer than you have been. Man, God has got you on a track that everybody else ain't on, man. You running while everybody else is walking. 
You studying, you staying up late at night because the Spirit of God is moving on your heart. How dare you let somebody come in and talk you out of what God has called you to do? He says, they recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles as they kept preaching to the Jews. Verse 10, their, their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor. It's always a good principle there. Look out for the poor. You can't go wrong. I tell people all the time, all through the Bible, God have a soft spot in his heart for folk, poor folks. Old Testament, New Testament, the poor, the elderly, widows, and the orphans. All through the Bible, God always brings those three categories of people up. So if God places a burden on your heart to help somebody that's poor, man, don't you shut that down because you're in tune with God. You know, so he's saying, look here, y'all got to keep helping the poor and, and, and as which I have always been eager to do. Paul said, look here, man, I always had a soft spot in my heart for the poor folks. And see, sometimes we get saved and we close up our hearts of compassion for people who are less fortunate than we are. Man, as Christians, man, man, we ought to, I'm not saying everybody's going to take advantage of you. You shouldn't let folks take advantage of you. But every now and then, man, God ought to just place it on your heart to do something for someone who's less fortunate than you are. This is a good time of the year to do that. I mean, this is a good time of the year for somebody that's sitting on bank, man, you know, just sitting on it like that. Just go and say, God, show me somebody that I can bless. I don't want no recognition. don't want nothing. I just want you to show me somebody, and I want to do that because I can't go wrong. I can't go wrong. And so they was telling him, admonishing him to do something that, hey, he understood that he had to do. Now, the, the ironic thing in all of this, when we get to verse 11, Paul is telling a story now. You've got to keep in mind, he's telling this story to the Galatian church. Now he's going to say, even after all we had that conversation that, with Peter back in Jerusalem, Peter had a relapse. Peter had a relapse. You know, there are a lot of Christians that's having a relapse today. They, they want to... <laughs> they want to do what God has called them to do. But I'm talking about in the church right now. But there are some Christians that want to take America back to where it used to be. They having a relapse. They remember when Major was at the back of the bus. And some folks that stand up in church on Sunday right now is having a... If Peter could relapse and he walked with Jesus... Some of these rascals today are relapsing. Amen. I know I ain't scared to say it because I know I'm telling the truth. If you're telling the truth, just tell the truth. Some of them are relapsing. They want to go back to the 50s. And it's up to us to defend the truth. We ain't going back. I know. I need this. I, I'm in a pause moment now because he's going to get radical here in a minute. I'm just, I'm just kind of getting in his moment because, I, you know, I feel like he feel right now when it comes to freedom. He said, now look, in verse 11, to show you how, look here. But when Peter came to Antioch, Antioch was where they were first called what? Christian. That's what Barnabas had called Paul to come down to Antioch because the people getting saved so quick, man. Barnabas said, we need some help down here. 
You go back to Acts chapter 13, I think what it is. They, he went down there and man, all these people who are the multicultural congregation down there, man, just falling in love with the Lord. People from Africa, people from all over that region down there, they was all on one accord with the Lord. They sent Barnabas down there to check it out, and Barnabas got excited. Sent for Paul, Paul get excited. Then now Peter go back to where all this Jesus is. All this Jesus. Maybe he go back by himself. And when he get down there by himself, he act like the people who live there. He blended right in with him. Maybe even been over there eating some chitlins. Because he got in trouble because he was eating with him. And see, when a Jew sit down with you to have dinner with you, that would bring you into a different level of fellowship with them. They would see you as family. And so now Peter is down there hanging out with the boys in Antioch, having a good time. And then, guess what happened? Paul said, look, I had to oppose him to his face. For he did what was very wrong. Now, Peter, this is a pillar. Walk with Jesus. But Peter was kind of wishy-washy at times. He with Jesus one minute to the little girl saw him, and he all said, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, I mean Peter was wishy-washy. I mean, you know, Peter, I, I'm a, Lord, you know, he had just said, Lord, I'll die for you. I'm going to be there for you. And when the little girl said, hey, he won up. Oh, no, I don't know him. <laughs> I don't know. So Peter had a tendency to, you know, be wishy-washy. There's some Christians like that today. They just wish it. Wash it. They act one way around certain folks, then they act another way. And I equate this, you know, I remember when I was in the military, you know, especially I was in the military during the time when, you know, tension was a little tough amongst the races at that time, back in 71, because we didn't have all the riots and stuff like that, because we wanted some freedoms. You want some, we want some treatment right. We want to be treated right. So they started riding on Travis and Chanute. I mean, brothers started tearing up stuff, taking over child hall. When they started doing that, social action was born. Things started getting a little better. And I used to be on a mobile training team. And I used to travel with this guy. He was a white guy, I was a black guy. Stationed over Mississippi. Whenever we was on the road teaching, man, you couldn't separate us for nothing. I mean, we loved each other until we got back around our own folk. When I got back to my folk, he got back to his folk, we acted like we didn't know each other. But on the road, we went to the same restaurant every night. He even had me going in country and western clubs. I ain't know nothing about no, that's why I wasn't saved now. That's what I was saying. I mean, I ain't know nothing about no country and no western. But because I was there, he almost had me to buy some cowboy boots, but I wasn't there yet. I, I wasn't there yet. I, was, I, was, I know the brother in the hood couldn't handle me walking in with some, all of a sudden I'm coming back with some cowboy boots on. But maybe the point I'm trying to make is that long as we was away from everybody else, we were best friends. But then when everybody else showed up, then we had to figure, okay, I can't let them see me with him. This is what happened to Peter. He was all right until them fellas came down from Jerusalem. When they came down, his attitude toward the same people that he was eating with changed. And that happened today. Happened today. And so look, he was saying, now look, when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. 
But afterwards, when some friends of James, who was the big dog, came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from those people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. In other words, sometimes fear caused people to relapse. They relapse. That's why, that's why I hate the political season, because people use fear to motivate people to do something that is not right, because they don't know the truth. What people fear, they will respond to in a negative way sometimes. And so what, because Peter feared what these fellows from Jerusalem were going to say about him, he decided that, hey, whew, I ain't going to hang out with them no more until they leave. Now, what would that have looked like, Major? You down there eating with the brothers, and all of a sudden now, the boys from Jerusalem come down, you don't hang with them. You, you back to eating lamb chops now. You know, that's all you want to eat, yo. You eating lamb chops, and that's it. But then now, the minute that the boys leave, you decide, hey, a pork chop ain't that bad. Since they're gone, my fear of them seeing me sitting down and eating with this guy, knowing that they don't eat, you know, they don't eat kosher. But all of a sudden now, for two weeks, I got to eat kosher. And then when they leave, I can go back home. Paul said, man, I can't let that happen. Because if you do that, then now you're going to be playing with this thing, this hypocrisy to a certain degree, that you're going to hurt a lot of people. And so because he realized, Fred, that he was going to hurt a lot of people, Paul said, hey, I had to confront him to his face. Confront him. And he's he going to tell us why. That's what I love about the Bible. Because when we read long enough, he'll give us the answer. He said, now, he was afraid of criticism. Nobody want to be criticized. From those people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians, other Jewish Christians who was all right down in Antioch, but we all getting along, who we don't want to call it, all of a sudden now, they follow Peter. When you start operating in hypocrisy, you're going to pull some people away from the Lord too. And not only that, he says, and even Barnabas, my homeboy, my ace, was led away by his hypocrisy, led astray by his hypocrisy. So Paul said, look here, man, I can't let this go. Barnabas is a big dog in the church down here. If Barnabas get pulled away back into the law, he may take everybody in Antioch with him. So we got to, conf got to confront Peter. And every now and then, look here, there's nothing wrong with you having to confront some people when it comes to the truth. I mean, when you know the truth and you know what you're talking about, man, look here, don't you sit silent on the truth and let a lie just run right past you. There's a way you can confront them, but at the same time, you got to do it with the courage that God has given you. Because to me, sometimes you're in a place, your silence is consent. You ain't saying nothing, then after you leave out of there, the Holy Spirit beat you up. I should have said, I should have well, you should have said it while you was in there. We got to be bold enough to stand on the truth even when it comes to dealing with other believers who are leading others astray. He says, now look, when I saw that they were following, not following the truth of the gospel message, 
I said to Peter in front of all the others, he was sinning in public. So I confronted him in public. I ain't take him out to the side. Come over here, let me talk to you. Let me go to the side room. No. You was acting in public, so I'm going to confront you in. Now, if you had been in private doing it, then I would have confronted you private. But I'm going to confront you right where you are. Now, I know that's kind of hard, but this is what Paul said. Hey, I confronted him in front of all the others. This is what he said, Peter. Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish law and are living like a Gentile. If he's living like a Gentile, that means he's doing whatever they're doing. Whatever they're eating, I've been eating what they eat. I'm living like one of them. We're on the road. I'm living like I'm country. Because he had me living country. I'm living in country. But when I get back, country don't sell in my neighborhood. I mean, I even been about me a little Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson. But find out that I couldn't play it with nobody but myself. Because everybody that I was running with wasn't feeling no Willie and no Waylon. And I wasn't bold enough to stand up for him because I wasn't with my partner. I reverted back. I relapsed. Bring on some James Brown, some Marvin Gaye, you know. <laughs> hey, 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 put Willie to the side. On the road again, that ain't going to float right here. You, we, can't, we can't get down off the, on the road again. But I love that song, making music with my friends. I can't wait to get on them. So you know I had to listen to it so I can remember the lyrics, you know, 40 years later. And so what I'm trying to say is say, I was acting like him when I was on the road with him. But when I got back, I relapsed to who I really was. And that's what Peter was doing. He said, look, when I was with them boys over there, I was acting like a Gentile. But now that these guys came down from Jerusalem, then now I can no longer act like that. So he says, you have, have discarded the Jewish law and are living like a Gentile. Why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow Jewish tradition? You was hanging with them, eating what they was eating. Now you're finna go back and tell them, hey, y'all can't eat that no more. That's unclean. That's unclean. That's unclean. You can't eat that. What? You got hooves? Don't you choose a could? Can't eat that. Unclean. Brother Her? Well, I just said one of the things that, that came, to, came to my heart is, uh, is about character. And God's looking for character with honesty. And one of the things that comes on in integrity. Integrity. Amen. And, and, and that's, he didn't walk with integrity. I mean, Paul, I mean, Peter just, I mean, Peter just showed that. Exactly. And, 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 and Paul had to call him out. Where's your integrity? I mean, you, you one way and you another way. And God look at your heart. And he's looking for a man that with faithfulness and with integrity. And, and you goes know, a long ways. Amen. And that's a good point. But the, but the other thing that it also reveals to us as we see how the world is we live in, man, when you have been seeing people a certain way for 400 years and every generation. See, Peter was taught that Gentiles was heathens. Let's stand. All that had been bred into him over the years. And even though Jesus said, hey, 
slay and eat. You know, when he put him in the trance and everything fell down from heaven, and he said, Peter said, I don't eat nothing unclean, Lord. And Jesus said, what I made, don't you call unclean. Slay and eat. The message wasn't about food. It was about people. He was saying, look, you can't call nobody that I created unclean or common. Peter got that message from the Lord himself. But then when he got intimidated and got afraid and was criticized, he relapsed. And that's what happened to people today. They can relapse back into something. They got 300 years or 400 years of prejudice and, and, and bigotry running through their heart. Man, they can come to church on Sunday and then relapse on Monday. And that worked both ways. Because we got some, I had some brothers out there, man, that was, was anti, just as anti-white as they could be. And to this day, some of them still, the ones still living, still got an attitude like that. Because they have not embraced the truth that in God and in Jesus, there is no nationality. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Because they're all one in him. And Peter should have known that. He walked with Jesus. But again, when Jesus went to the Canaanite woman and she was begging bread and his disciples said, Lord, you ain't got time for her. It wasn't that the woman wasn't hungry. It's because she was a Canaanite. And Jesus even said, hey, you know, right now it ain't time to get a children bread to dogs. And he's, Jesus on the way, he, you know, he kind of equated her to a dog. And she didn't jump up and give him the five and say, look here, doc. You don't call me no dog. You know, she roll her neck at him and all that. She just said, hey, even the dogs eat the bread that falls from the master's table. Man, when she hit Jesus with that, Jesus said, look here. What you need? I want my daughter to be here, bam. So what I'm trying to tell you, they should have learned that lesson when they were with Jesus. But because their heart, man, I'm telling you, when prejudice and all that stuff get deep down in your heart, man, you, it takes the Holy Spirit to root that out of you. And especially if you're still dealing with people who, who think like that. Some of you got friends, you know right now, they just black racists. If black folk can be racist, some people say we can't be that because we ain't got did that another. Well, they just hate white folk whatever you want to call them. And they're and they on your friend's list. And you don't try to talk them off that. Yeah. You got to represent the Lord. You got to say, hey, Jesus died for everybody. But if you don't know how to defend that and don't feel comfortable defending that, then if you keep hanging with them, then they're going to assume you're one of the boys, a girl. At some point in time, you've got to make a stand for something that you believe in if it's the truth. Amen. Brother Herb, go ahead. Let me go ahead. No, well, you, you just preached it. You said, above everything, love. Amen. Amen. Love thy neighbor. I mean, you just you preached it about love. Amen. So look at this, verse 15, so I can get through this. He said, then look, you, Paul said, and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like these Gentiles. You know, you, we, we weren't heathen, man. We were born knowing God. God gave his word to our folk first. 
So, but we're, and we're Jews, and we know that God, Jews are God's chosen people. So therefore, we're Jews by birth. And he says now, not like the Gentiles, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. He said, we're Jews, we know that. We've been taught that. That's a truth that we got to stand on even though we are Jews from birth. And we have believed in Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Jesus, not because we obey the law. For no one will ever be made right by obeying the law. Can't be made right, but if, if we could be made right by obeying the law, then Jesus didn't need to die. Then that mean God sacrificed Jesus for no reason at all. So therefore, that's why we don't live under the law. And like I said on Sunday, the things that's in the law, if we follow the principle of love, most of those things that God wants us to do, love will cause us to do them anyway. And not do, love will cause us to do it. And so he says that that principle of love, it fulfills all the righteous requirements of the law. Love the Lord that God with all our heart, spirit, soul, mind, and body, and love that neighbor as yourself. And Jesus threw another one in there that kind of helped us out. He says, now look, when it comes to people, we used to call this the golden rule, Major. We thought Coca-Cola came up with it. Because when I was a little boy, they gave us rulers to the school district, and Coca-Cola sponsored them. And on the back of it, it says, you know, the golden rule. Do unto others what you would have them to do under. It got that out of the Bible, and I thought Coca-Cola came up with that. Coca-Cola stole that right out of the Bible and put it on the ruler. Gave it to us at school. And it was just telling us, hey, treat people like you want to be treated. Do to them what you would have someone do to you if you were in that situation. Just that simple. And so he was saying, look, we know these things. We've been taught these things. And then now we're going to go back after knowing the truth, trying to obey the law. He says now, he says in verse 17, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through, the, through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has, been, has led us into sin? Meaning that if we tried to walk in accordance with the law and try to keep it through Christ, then did Christ lead us into sin by leading us away from the law? And he come back and say, absolutely not. He says, rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law, I have already torn down. He said, Peter, what you're doing, you, you declared that you were a follower of Jesus. And now, instead of following him, you're going to go back and rebuild the law. That makes you a sin because now you're saying you're a sinner because now you're saying that Jesus did not solve the problem when he gave his life on the cross. And we got to go back under the law. So Paul was really getting into Peter right here, trying to get him to see that, hey man, you know, there's a, lot of, there's, there's a lot of things that can come out of this if I let Peter get off the hook. These people look up to him. He's a pillar in the 
in the church. Now look, he said this. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. And that's why God had sent Jesus for grace. Because nobody could keep all the righteous requirements of the law. So he says, I died to the law. And I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. I died to the law, put it to death, and said, I'm going to live for God through Jesus Christ. And if I do that, then i got to believe that what I got is enough to get me saved. It's enough, enough to ensure that I will have eternal life. He says, let me read 19. He says, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I'm, I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for the God. My old self has been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body, he said, by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What he said is that, look, man, if Jesus can't get me there, I ain't getting there. Because as long as I live in this earthly body, I'm putting all my chips on Jesus. And I believe that if I put my chips on him, I, I believe that he's going to ensure my eternal salvation. And so that's where we got to sell out. At some point in time, you got to make up in your mind, who you going to put it all on? Is it going to be on Jesus or are you going to look for some other way to get there? And it's so easy to look for something else because now by faith you got to accept what Jesus has done for you and, and, and it's harder for us to accept things in our natural mind that we can't see with empirical data. I mean, we can't touch it, can't feel it. So, but if you can touch it and feel it, feel it, you don't need faith for it. And that's why I used to always joke about time when I used to hear people say, man, I need faith, I need faith for a car. Man, you can walk outside and touch, touch a car. You don't need no faith for no car. Sinners buy cars every day. They don't pray. You need a job. Ben, I don't need no faith for no car. He, he got a job. He can go get him a car. He ain't got to pray. He ain't got to fast. He can go get him a car. What Finna need faith for to believe that Jesus is coming back. He can't buy that with money. You know, our money can't get that. He got to believe that, hey, Jesus is coming back, and no matter when he comes, whether I'm living or dead, he's going to come back and get me. He needs faith to believe that. Because it's easy for someone to talk you out of that because I can make you have faith for a car because you can see the car. But you can't see Jesus coming back for you. And so that's why you got to be no beyond the shadow of a doubt, man, that you putting all your trust in God and your, your chips are all on Jesus. If you was a gambler, you'll be on Jesus 7. Everything I got is on Jesus 7. Everything. And so as a result of that, I don't care what all the other numbers on the table look like. If I don't get that with Jesus, then so be it. And that's the attitude you got to have if you're going to defend this gospel. If you're going to be a freedom fighter for the gospel, you got to have that attitude, man, that, hey, it's Jesus a bankruptcy for me. I ain't holding out some more chips over here betting on somebody else. 
hoping that just in case I miss Jesus, I'm going to put a little bit over here in this bag, so I'm going to go dibble and dabble with some stones. And I'm going to start messing with charms. And I'm going to start letting people read my palms. I got 90% on Jesus, but I still want somebody to tell me, how long are you going to live? Oh, that's your money line. It's long. <laughs> you know, your money line long. You're going you're gonna to be rich one day. What? <laughs> And what I'm trying to tell you, we laugh, but there are people out there every day who've been pulled away to that. Every day. Go ahead, brother. One of the things that uh, was, was, was shown and taught is saying that uh, uh, I know we talked about being successful. Your faithfulness is your success. It makes success. It's your faithfulness will make you be successful. Amen. And, and it depends on how people measure success. You know, a lot of time we measure success based upon how the world defines success, and so a lot of time we equate that to stuff, how much money you got, what good your job is, and all that. And there are a lot of people that got a lot of money and all that, but they in real life they ain't successful. That's why they jump out buildings. They put all their faith in that, and you know the market go down, you know, three or four, five hundred points, two thousand points, them guys go get a gun. What about those that live by law, by the law? Hmm? Those religions that live by the law. Those religions that live by the law. I mean, there, there are some Old Testament believers out there, some people who that's all they read and that's all they study. I ain't going to argue with them. But, but I'm talking about like people like the Seventh-day Adventist people, and I say that openly because me and my mother always going at it because she keeps saying, well, you got to keep the Sabbath. Yeah, you got to keep the Sabbath. You got to keep everything else. That's, that's, that's a fundamental principle of their religion. They have to stand on that. If you say you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you got to stand on the truth that you believe the Sabbath, Saturday, is the what Sabbath. About, uh, what about the food? Well, well, I'm just saying, that's, but that is one. And then there's some that now all of them don't eat according to the Sabbath law. Now, some of them do eat other way, but they're going to honor the Sabbath or the Saturday. But, but, but that's an argument. And, and I won't argue with them about that. They can believe that. But the Bible talks about, hey, man, every day can be a hard day. Paul said on the first day of the week, the believers got together. Yes, that got changed with the Julian calendar. When the calendar changed, Sunday became the first day of the week. Most Christian churches, pardon the Catholic Church, started going to church on Sunday. But right now, we have been conditioned that if pastor was to call a, a Thursday day, say, hey, you know, our new worship day is Thursday. Six o'clock at night. That's our new time worship. And some folks have a fear. <laughs> what? <laughs> Don't you know we go, we go to church on Sunday? We've been going to church on Sunday all our life. So what I'm trying to tell you, we, we have tradition and things that we brought in and we honor those things, but we don't try to, I don't argue with a seven-day event, because you ain't going to win that one. Not, not, the seven, not Saturday, you ain't going to win that one. Because they just like the Jews on that day. You ain't going to win that one. So I don't argue with them about that. Let's talk about something we agree on. Jesus, is Jesus the son of God? Yeah, okay. Did he die for our sin? The only reason why I say something, because you're talking about living by the law. And I always say, if you live by one law, you should have to live by all ten. And like you said, then Jesus didn't need to die. Amen. Amen. And you know, if, and I tell people, hey, look, if you're going to live by that law, then there's another law that says you cut your hand off. You're going to do that too. 
I mean, you're just going to live by the law. No, they're going to cherry pick the law if they want to live by. They ain't about to do it. They just cherry pick the Bible. Fred, I see your hand. Uh, oh, yeah, Major, I, Major, get a mic. No, I just want to wrap, say wrap that. This up. I just want to say, you know, it was nothing wrong with Peter eating with the Gentiles because if you look at it, he was eating with Gentile believers. But it's the hypocrisy that, that Paul is talking about where he was wrong. That's what Paul called him out on. You know, you, 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 like you said, you eat with the Gentiles while we're not around. But when your friends come around, you go over and eat. You know, you don't want to be bothered with them, even though they were believing Gentiles just like they were believing Jews. That's right. And they were Gentiles who we didn't make them get circumcised. And they were Gentiles who we didn't tell them that they had to change their old eating habits right. to follow the law. And so while I was down there with them, you know, I, I had me a little bacon, too, on the side. You know, had a little bacon. But that's what they, they eat over here, you know. And, but then now the boys come to Jerusalem. I can't, I can't, man, I can't. I don't eat bacon no more. I don't eat, I don't eat. No, listen, man, that's your problem. Now, if you, if you ain't going to eat it, don't eat it at all. Then he wouldn't have no problem with, with Paul. But because he did it in front of him, he was sitting right there having fellowship with them. And then when everybody else came, he started acting differently. He said, now look, last verse, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Paul said, man, this thing called grace is so serious to me. I don't treat this as some meaningless doctrine that I'm teaching. You know, God's grace is sufficient. You know, Jesus died so that we didn't have to work for our salvation. It was God's unmerited favor toward us, and I don't have to work to get saved. And he said, look, it is not meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Amen. That's the whole thing right there. I mean, it was, that, it was just a matter of going out and getting circumcised and honoring this day and having doves sacrificed on this day and not doing all those things. And that was all to it. But you, you got to go back and this is why it's good to know what the Old Testament say. And you got to see that God got tired of them folk planning. <laughs> they knew when the days were coming. They knew when it was atonement day was coming. They knew when this offering was due. So what they were doing, they go get them a goat, they get them a dove, they come there, and then they offer it up and sacrifice, praise the Lord, bam, and then they go live like a dog the rest of the time, and then come back next year to do the same thing over again. Bring them another goat, and then go back and do what they want to do. And God said, look here, time out for all that. Y'all can't keep it. Because if you can keep it, that last goat that you sacrificed should have been enough. But now, you're going to bring another one next year. I'm going to send my son to be that one goat once and for Just imagine, Major, I don't know what we would be doing, but if Jesus didn't do that, maybe we would be practicing sacrifice too. We have an offering up here, an altar up here, and y'all be coming in here on Sunday bringing y'all doves or something, and we'd be cutting them open, blood dripping and all that, sprinkling it. Y'all say that, y'all say that, not here, not today. So then y'all will be saying, thank God for grace. <laughs> thank God for grace. Amen. And so that's why we live under, under grace. We don't mean, and I, I'm not one of those Christians who say, and there are some Christians who are new to what they call themselves New Testament only Christians. They only read the New Testament of the Bible. I believe in order to get a good understanding of the Old Testament, the New Testament, you need to go back and read some of the prophecies and the books of the, the law so you can get a good understanding because a lot of the writers, believe it or not, when, when Jesus lived, there was no New Testament. All they had was the old. And so therefore, he was modifying things as he was going, and now it finally got recorded. 
And so therefore, in order to fully understand God's whole big picture, you need to understand some, the Old Testament and have a, a, good, a definite good knowledge of the, the New Testament. Amen. But don't just say, I don't need to read the Old Testament never again. Now, you ought to read it just, just to be well-versed in the Word of God. Amen? Amen? All right, all right then. Okay, Woo, that was a good lesson tonight. Y'all, y'all worked me tonight, man, I tell you. Man, major, you got me riled up there, man. I'm ready. But anyway...